This episode contains adult language and topics that may be disturbing for some listeners. Such topics include suicide, drug use, physical or sexual abuse of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Hey, buddy. How's it going? So far, so good. And I'm always excited when you tell me this story because I just get to kick back and relax and listen to a, a fun little tale of how people can be the worst to each other. So yep. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and this one has all of that. You know, you did give me a little teaser and you said that it was some real cowboy shit. So yeah. It is some real cowboy shit. We know a couple that are going to be real interested. Tyson and Reno Gambler are going to be real into this episode. Yeah, this story is Wild Wild West stuff. So wicked, wicked, wild, wicked, wild. They're, yeah, and it happened kind of a, a while ago. So a lot of the facts about this is gossip and small town rumors and allegations that were never proven in court. Just imagine that there's an allegedly in front of everything I say from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. From now, because I don't want to say it. <laughs> so, does that cover our legal representation across the entire board? Yes. Okay. Wow, I didn't know we could do that. Well, in this episode, oh, at least. Okay, cool. So we're gonna start in Kansas, somewhere in 1934. A guy named Kenneth Rex McElroy was born. Kansas. I think this is our first Kansas case. Well, it doesn't take place in Kansas. He, this is just where he's oh, born. All right. And who is this, David? Kansas wants to stay far away from this guy. Okay, cool. So who's this for? Rory McIlroy? Kenneth McIlroy. Oh, sorry. Rory's a, Rory's a golfer. Yes. It's spelled different, though. Or maybe it's spelled the same. I don't know. Anyway, Kenneth McElroy is born in 1934 in Kansas, and his parents are poor tenant farmers, you know, where they, like, rent land from somebody else, and they farm it, and then the landowner makes most of the money. So they kind of move around a lot, and they have a lot of kids. Ken is the 15th of 16 kids. Wow. What? Or the 14th of 15, depending what source you use. But it's a lot of kids. Damn, that is a ton of kids. Yeah. So, like I said, they were poor and they moved around a lot. And it's been said that his father was pretty abusive, which it was 1934. I feel like most fathers were pretty abusive back then. Uh, I think it comes with it. Just kind of. the Yeah, I think it pretty goes with the territory kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So Ken was terrible in school. He wasn't very smart and he didn't get along with anybody. He was a troublemaker and a bully and he was just not good. Noted. Just kind of like a bad seed from the start. Ken just kind of sucked. Yeah. So working on the farm, by the time he was like 15, he was big. He was like farm strong, you know, and intimidating because he was a bully. Right. He also decided he was like done with school. He's like, I'm over that because he was 15 and he was only like in the eighth grade because he'd been held back a couple of times. And so he's just like, yeah, we're going to give up on the school thing. Fair. So just keep that in mind. Okay. Eighth grade education, not we're not doing well here. That's two so more than two more years than Jethro. Who's Jethro? <sighs> From the Beverly Hillbillies. He only had a sixth grade oh. education. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are you throw me off? Okay. <laughs> so 
15, drops out of school. He works odd jobs like here and there, but none of them ever really work out because he doesn't get along with people. So eventually he landed in a town called Skidmore, Missouri. Skidmore. hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not something you really want to do. But he immediately made a name for himself in Skidmore being a bully, like just pushing the townspeople around. He was a jerk. And this is a tiny, tiny town. It's like less than 250 people now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when this story takes place, there was more, but still there was only like 400 people even then. Oh, that's really not a lot of people even then. Right. So he really made a name for himself quickly because he started stealing um, everything. Like he would, <laughs> yeah, he would steal from people's houses. He would steal from their cars. He would steal cattle and livestock, pigs, hogs, anything, and then resell it. That's how he made his money. He would literally steal from people and then sell it, and that's how he made his money. He'd steal gas, feed, anything he wanted. He would just steal it. I was just laughing because he just wanted it, so he stole it. He wanted gas, so he yeah. stole it. And what, yeah. what year was this? Nineteen thirty-four. Oh no, we're he's an adult now. Oh, oh, that's right. He was born in thirty-four, but it's still a lawless yeah. He was land. born in thirty-four. That's where I was yeah. getting at. This is still a lawless land. Yeah, we're talking sixties, early seventies now. So when anyone would press charges, he would intimidate the witnesses. He would like sit outside of their house with a rifle and fire it randomly and threaten them and their families until they would just drop the charges. There's been a lot of gossip that he burned down people's barns, their houses, like until they just gave up and they were like, fine, whatever, just take our hogs. Really? Just here you go. Here's our livestock. That doesn't sound. Well, I mean, he was like burning their houses down and threatening their children and stuff. So when the townspeople started backing down from him, And not pressing charges, he got even bolder. It made him worse because the more he got away with, the more he did. I don't know how bullies work. Yeah, I don't know that this classifies as a bully, though. He seems far past that. Oh, yeah. In a documentary that I watched, which there's a really great documentary on this, it's called No One Saw a Thing. And it's by Sundance, and it's like a six part docuseries, and it's amazing. Like, it shows the whole thing, and one of the townspeople said the same thing you just said. It, like, he wasn't just a bully. He was literally a terrorist. Yeah, that's a better word for it, I think. Yeah. So he was indicted for 20 felonies over the years and was never convicted of any of them. How? <laughs> Out of 20? Yeah, and that's just what was reported. Those are just the people who had the balls to press charges. That's crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I feel like if 20 people accuse you of something at least some of them got to be right i would i mean i would think and you know i guess that's why we have a broken legal system to try to figure it out but yeah well it wasn't even the legal system that failed i mean it was but he would just intimidate he would intimidate witnesses jurors judges everybody until they just dropped it by burning their houses down and stealing their even stuff and judges yeah allegedly all right so It's also been rumored that he was good with women and he was married like four or five times in his life. But that isn't really that accurate because he didn't date women. What do you mean? Um, He liked children. Not where I was thinking, honestly. Yeah. So 
to say that he was good with women is putting it nicely. He was good at grooming girls between 12 and 15 is what he was good at. That's not a good thing to be good at. Nope. So while he's married to his third wife named Alice, who was a teenager when he met her, he met a 12-year-old named Trina McLeod, and she started hanging around McElroy, and all of a sudden she started dating 30-something-year-old McElroy. Nope. Nope. Who was married with somewhere between 10 and 13 kids from these other women. What? Mm Mm-hmm. What is going on? on already this is already like really weird yeah her parents obviously didn't like this but they were scared of him like the rest of this town and there's a lot of small town gossip about what happened next and they're all slightly different but the general story is that trina had dropped out of school by 14 and was living with mcelroy and his wife alice in like a sister wives situation now As a a woman, I mean, I would think you see this guy bringing home a 12-year-old little girl. I don't know. I would think the first instinct would be to do everything you can to get her out of that situation. But I'm sure there's a lot going on here. Well, just like, I mean, how old was Alice when he married her, you know? Well, good point. Yeah. I could never really pin that down, but I don't think she was very old either at this point. Like, I think they were both very young. Yeah, it makes sense. So the general gist is that Trina, by 14, had dropped out of school and was living with McElroy and Alice in, like I said, this like sister wives thing. Shortly after this, she became pregnant with her and McElroy's child. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of weird. He's 30 something and she's 14. Yeah. I kind of figured that's where this was heading. Um, Right. So how many kids does he have at this point total? Like 14? It's not very clear. He has somewhere between 12 and 15 total. It's I don't think they were all like registered because it's hard to it's hard <laughs> to find out. <laughs> like maybe some of them weren't with his wives, you know what I mean? And also his wives kind of overlapped like at this point he's with Trina and Alice at the same time. So his life is messy. We don't know. Somewhere between 10 and 16. But in the documentary that I watched, one of his kids said something about 13 children. So I would think he would know how many siblings he had. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, I don't know. So she's pregnant and 14 and her parents are like, no, you're not getting married. And wait, either parents are around. Yeah. Did you miss that part where they didn't want her doing this? But they were scared of McElroy, too. I do remember that part now. Sorry. I just, in yeah. my head, I was like, well, this would never get this far with parents around. And I had kind of vacated that. But I guess. Well, that. it shouldn't have. Sure. You're correct. <laughs> but these poor people were terrorized, you know. So either they took Trina back or she went home willingly. We're not quite clear on that. But either way, statutory rape and child molestation charges were filed. As I think they should have been. I mean. Mm-hmm. What else do you say to that? (laughs) Yeah. By this time, because of his numerous felonies and stealing from everybody and his reputation for liking children and all this stuff, he had this hotshot high-dollar lawyer from Kansas City named Richard Gene McFadden or McFadden. I don't know. The guy's a dick. Probably McFadden. But it sounds like a dick either way. Yeah. And he was good or bad, however you want to look at it. 
he had gotten McElroy off of every charge he had been accused of. He's even given interviews in these documentaries and stuff saying, oh yeah, he was the best client I ever had. He always paid in cash and kept coming back. It's like, oh my gosh. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's terrible. Now, some of the reason that he was so successful, though, was because McElroy would just shoot at people and burn their houses down so they'd drop the charges. So maybe he wasn't that good of a lawyer, but <laughs> yeah. But he did have a way of always getting things postponed or dismissed. Ken's motto was always no witness, no crime. So his lawyer would postpone everything and then Ken would intimidate people until they just dropped it. That, that was like what he did, though. Like that was just his thing. Right. So his plan for this situation with Trina is to marry her because the statutory rape and child molestation charges, she would be the only witness. And if they were married, she wouldn't be forced to testify against him. But obviously, he's still married to Alice and her parents are like, no, you know, so he divorces Alice, but they're still together. She's still living with him and everything. And he asked Trina's parents to sign a consent form so that he could marry her. Oh, my God. Which I'm not sure why that's even a thing. She's 14, but they didn't sign. So I would guess it's a thing for like two 14 year olds, which shouldn't happen either. But like two younger people. But he's like 37. Of course. Of course. Like it shouldn't even be like allowed for him. Right. Yeah. Should be like a high school dance where there's a cutoff. Like, you can't have this at a certain age. You can't come here anymore. Yeah. You have to be (laughs) under 20. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, but McElroy does what he wants. So, he wants Trina and he wants them to sign this consent form. So, he decides that the best way to get this done is to go to their house and shoot their family dog and burn the house down. Um, Mm -hmm. sorry, that just, it escalated so quickly and I wasn't expecting it. And I don't like it when there's a dog involved. So, yeah, I know. I know we talk about people killing people all the time and then I'm like, you're going to shoot a dog though. I hate you. (sighs) Yeah, no, no kidding. I mean, I think that's pretty standard for most people. Like people, well, you know, people kind of get, get under your skin, but really what does a dog do? Yeah. So shoots the dog, burns down the house. So the parents sign the form. And Ken and Trina are married the next day. To be a parent in that situation and just basically going like, we have to do this or he'll take everything. He's going to kill us. Yeah, exactly. He's going to take everything we have left. And at this point, it's our lives. So. And she's 14 and she's been being groomed by him for years and she's pregnant with his child. She probably wanted it. Yeah. Not wanted. Not wanted wanted. to marry. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not. Correct. And and from all accounts, she did want to marry him. It wasn't like he was forcing it. I mean, he was because it's rape and she's 14 and all. The, but but they also had the added issue of she wanted to go with him. So it's not even like they could have just like packed up their whole family and left. She wanted to go with Ken. So anyways, they're married, which is among the obvious issues with them getting married. The biggest one is that then her parents couldn't press statutory rape charges and child molestation charges because now they're married and she can't be forced to testify so all these charges are dropped and he just gets off again it's like when we talked about samuel little like we talked about how he really wasn't kind of an evil genius because it just was kind of happenstance but this guy like i don't even want to call him an evil genius either but like he's getting what he wants but he's taking it by force he's calculating Ooh. It's a good, 
that's a good way to describe him. Okay, I like it. Yeah, he's not smart. He's just, I don't know, he knows how to be a criminal. He's got a criminal mind. So at 14, she gives birth to their child. And a few weeks after this, her and Alice run away to Trina's parents' house together. And they accused him of rape and being abusive. Fair. But he wasn't having any of that. And he went to go get him Mm. and was like, come home. You guys are being ridiculous. You know, whatever. He did whatever the abusive thing to do is and smooth talk him and all that stuff. And eventually they recant the story and they say that they just made it up, which is obviously not true. (laughs) Yeah. But not before he again shot their family dog and tried to burn down their house again for a second time. I mean, I'm already, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so yeah, taken this guy's back a bad already. Guy. Yeah. Well. He's not a good guy. That's the point of this story is that he's not a great guy. Sure. So Trina and their child end up in a foster home because they're both children. Her and her baby are right. both babies. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And so McElroy allegedly threatened the foster family that he knew where their biological daughter goes to school and that he would just take her until they gave him Trina and the baby back. What? Mm-hmm. From all the stories, it seems like they did because from then on, her and Alice were almost like his sidekicks. They would, like, help him intimidate people and they would sit in their trucks outside of different people's houses with guns and they just all lived together and... I'm sure it wasn't one big happy family, but that's how they made it seem. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really sad, though, because when his kids are interviewed, they do say that they had a good childhood and that their moms baked pies and put them in the window and that he was a really good dad and it wasn't bad like people make him out to be. Like, he wasn't bad to them. He was a good dad. But then in, like, the next breath, they'll be like, well, yeah, there was abuse, like, we would see Alice or Trina have black eyes, but he never did that in front of us, so we didn't know where it came from. Oof. Like, wow. it's like, ugh. So it doesn't seem like a ideal situation, but apparently his one redeemable quality was that he was good to his massive amounts of kids, apparently. Because they all, to this day, are like, he was not that bad of a guy. Like, he was a good dad. I mean... But then I, they also I, admit that he does, he did do a lot of this shitty stuff. Yeah. So it's I, like, eh, okay. I, I mean, I think he just, I think he was a bad dude. He just wasn't a bad dude to them, which is great. You know, that's yeah, yeah. nice, but. Yeah, you know. it's nice that we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. Right. So we're going to fast forward a couple years to the mid to late 70s. And there's a, another farmer in the area. His name is Romaine Henry. <laughs> And I know I like that name. <laughs> I just think a farmer named Romaine, like lettuce, is just a really perfect name. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Well, you don't have a farm like I do. I live on a farm practically. So Yeah, that's true you do. So Romaine is at his house and he hears gunshots. So he hops in his pickup truck and he drives out to where he heard the shots, which is not something I would be doing. But I guess when you're on a farm, you got to go check it out. <laughs> I would, yeah, you know, you're kind of the police at that point. Yeah, well, and that's the big thing with this tiny little town is there really isn't a lot of law. They do have like an elected town marshal and then the county sheriff is 20 minutes away in another town. So you would in fact call this a lawless land is what you're saying. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. All right. I mean, so far this does seem to be our most lawless episode. (laughs) I love it. Get that 
Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I got it. Got it. Enough. Once was not funny enough. <laughs> so Romaine hops in his pickup truck and goes to check out where the gunshots are coming from on his farm. And when he got out to where they were, here's McElroy holding a shotgun. Immediately, Romaine Henry was like, oh, never mind, misunderstanding. Let's just call this a, a wash. And McElroy immediately started accusing Romaine Henry of driving a white Pontiac on his property. Romaine was like, dude, that wasn't me. I don't even have a Pontiac. Like, let's just let this go. Instead of letting it go, uh, McElroy took out a shotgun and pointed it at Romaine and shot him point blank in the stomach on his own property. Oh. Yeah. Not the friendliest thing to do. No. Shockingly, though, he got in his truck and drove back to his house and his wife took him to the hospital and he survives this gunshot with buckshot all in his belly a buckshot too really yeah wow yeah Yeah. tough guy yeah no kidding so McElroy is arrested for assault with intent to kill and everybody is relieved they're like finally this is gonna be over but this fancy lawyer got him released on bond while he was awaiting trial and he got right back to his old antics and was trying to intimidate Romaine Henry and intimidate jury members and judges and everybody else and he was getting like real shitty with it no 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 getting shitty with it yeah that's two will smith rap references i've made yeah. in this episode yeah that's enough. It's embarrassing yeah so anyway he he got back to his old antics but romaine was tough and he continued to press charges he's like no man you shot me in the stomach on my own property like screw you <laughs> I think that's a fair response. <laughs> totally. But he took it to trial. But at trial, McElroy had multiple witnesses testify that he was with them and he couldn't have shot Henry. Really? Yeah. And there's no way to know if he intimidated those people into saying that or if he paid them off or, you know, we don't know. But Maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Either way, he was acquitted of these charges of shooting Romaine, even though Romaine was like, dude, you obviously shot me. Look at my belly. We had a conversation and then you shot me. So at this point, this guy is like untouchable. He could just shoot people. (laughs) Wow. And get away with it. That's insane. So again, he's just running amok on this poor little town. And then we're going to fast forward a few years again to April of 1980. 70-year-old Bo Bowenkamp, who owns the local grocery store, which is not like, oh, he owns a Ralph's or a Smith's. It's like the only grocery store. Like, this town is tiny. It's the only store. So everybody knows Bo, is what I'm saying. Bo knows. Yeah. So 70-year-old Bo owns the only grocery store. There was a girl working behind the counter, and two other girls came in. One was like a teenager, and one was like four. And the little four-year-old was trying to steal a two-cent piece of gum, her sister kept making her put it back and they were arguing with it. And the, the store clerk, when they went to leave, was like, hey, your little sister took that gum again. Like, you either need to pay for it or put it back. And the sister got mad, took the gum from the little girl's hand, put it back. And then the little girl started crying and they left. It was like a normal thing. Little kids try to take candy all the time. It was no big deal. Sure. Um, Except a little while later, an angry Trina, you know, his 14-year-old wife who's 23 now. Nobody's wife should be 14, but yeah, I know who it is. Yeah. 
she comes in and starts an argument with Mrs. Bowencamp about accusing her daughter of stealing. So this little four-year-old was Ken McElroy's daughter, Ken and Trina's daughter. Right. They're like, whoa, 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 this is probably just a misunderstanding. We didn't have anybody steal anything. Like, we don't want any trouble. And Trina was like, well, my little girl came home crying, and you're accusing her of raiding the store and blah, 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 blah. And the lady's like, whoa, this is, like, totally blown out of proportion. Like, that's not really what happened. So this doesn't go well, and Trina says they'll never shop there again, and the bone camps are like, cool, that works for us because you don't shop, you steal. But actually, they didn't say that. They just said, cool, okay, goodbye. And then Trina opens the door and says, you're about to meet Ken Rex McElroy. Like, all dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then Ken comes in calmly and offers Bo for his wife to fight Lois Bowencamp, like Mrs. Bowencamp. <laughs> okay. And obviously Mrs. Bowencamp's like, no thanks. I'm in my 70s and I have nothing to fight over. I'm certainly not going to fist fight your 23-year-old wife. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. This is really a crazy story. I was not expecting this at all. It gets better. Okay. So then then he tries to buy a pack of smokes and Mrs. Bone Camp had she had some balls. She was like, I thought you weren't gonna shop here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so he just turned around and calmly walked out and they were like, Whew. But that was not the end of that. He blew this whole thing out of proportion over this misunderstanding about a four-year-old maybe or maybe not stealing a two-cent piece of gum. So he started stalking the Bowen camps and their kids and their family. He was relentless and he wouldn't let this little incident go because he felt disrespected. And he would hang out at like the local local tavern called the D&G and tell everyone that he was going to kill Bo. He was going to shoot this 70-year-old man that everybody loves. He's the grocery store owner because not him or his wife might have accused his daughter of stealing a two-cent piece of gum that she was stealing. <laughs> that is like, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So anyway, so this goes on for months, constantly stalking them, harassing them, being just a total jerk, telling everybody he's going to kill him. Like this is all over a two-cent piece of gum. It has this is like nothing. So on July 8th, 1980, this is like three months later, Right. Bo is hanging out, Bo, the 70-year-old grocery store owner, was hanging out on the loading dock behind his grocery store, just sitting there, just watching the town, I guess. I don't know what you He was watch. probably whittling, I bet. Yeah, or smoking a pipe. Ooh. That's what I would think. Could be both. That's anyway, Those two generally go together. Yeah. So Ken walks up and says, want to fight? <laughs> And obviously, Bo was like, no. No, I not, don't. Not so much. Yeah. Like, I don't have anything. To... He literally, in an interview that I saw with him, he was like, I don't have anything to fight with you about. Like, no. And then Ken pulled out a shotgun, pointed it at Bo's head, and shot him. Wait. <laughs> Wait. He said, do you want to fight? He said no. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay, no problem, and just shot and killed him with a shotgun. Where did he pull this shotgun out from? Well, he always carried a gun. That was like his big thing is he never was known to get in a fist fight or anything. He always intimidated people with weapons. Oh. He was, and that's what all the townspeople call him a, like a, he's, they're like, 
he would never get in a fist fight with somebody. He would just pull a gun on him. Like he was kind of a coward. Yeah, no, that's you know? super like that that's Michael Scott and improv too. So, you know, like Yeah. Just I've got a gun. And what do you do? Like oh okay. Like if you don't have a gun yeah. too, then you're out of luck. Which all these people have guns, but it's but they're not all as crazy as he is. So they're like, We're not gonna pull our gun out in the grocery store and kill each other. So anyway. He was probably a little bit drunk, though, because it seemed like he liked to do that. A lot of the stories that I've read and heard about was like 10 o'clock in the morning and he's in the bar. So it seems like he might have a little bit of a problem with that. And the reason I say that is because he missed. So he didn't get oh. Bo in, in the head. He, he missed. At point blank range, he missed <laughs> with a shotgun. But he shot him in the neck still. Which is terrible. Yeah. No, that's never... <laughs> I mean, damn. Yeah. But he didn't shoot him in the head. He got him in the neck. He aimed it at his head and just pulled the trigger got him in the neck. Miraculously, Bo falls to the ground. There's blood shooting out of his neck horribly. Mm. But somehow he survives this attack. I don't know how all these I, people can get shot with shotguns and survive. I, but I, I mean, I, I don't know enough about guns, but shotgun pellets are usually pretty small so i guess if you're far enough away and don't hit anything major yeah but they usually like spray a little or like you know yeah but that's I what know. i mean it's... like it's a spray instead of like a direct so like if it sprays yeah, but both a of these ball... people he shot them like at like right here right yeah. in your face yeah it's like I mean, well you probably know more than i do but shotgun blasts do spread out so maybe if it's very close it's still concentrated and that yeah. has something to do with it. Maybe I have no idea. I don't idea. know. I don't know. I'm not even going to make it up I don't anymore. Know. Yeah. So miraculously, Bo survives and McElroy is arrested for attempted murder. His trial is set for August. So just like a month and a half later. But this scumbag attorney got him released on bond awaiting trial. So he didn't even spend any time in jail. Like he literally shot the town grocer and then was like home later that afternoon. <sighs> I mean,. I feel like this happens a lot more than than we realize, mm. you know, like it shouldn't. But I feel like this is just something that happens like way back when. Although. Right. At this point, what are we in the 50s? No, we're in 81. Why do you have such a hard time with dates? Uh, it's genetic. We're in 1981. Uh, I mean, at this point, it really should not be happening then. Yeah. So a month and a half, this whole town has to survive this guy being out on the street again while he's waiting for trial on trying to kill Bo. While they wait, he is relentlessly stalking the Bowen camps to the point where they can't even go outside to mow their lawn because they're scared to go outside. He intimidates all the witnesses, you know, his normal. Right. He even threatens the town marshal so much and the sheriff and the prosecutors and all that stuff that the town marshal quit. He's like, nah, I'm done with this. I'm not getting involved. <laughs> like, what? How, <laughs> you don't get to say no. You're the town marshal, Andy Griffith. You have to go. Yeah. No, he's like, no, no, no. This guy threatened to kill me and my family. I'm not I'm not testifying. I'm, I quit. He quit. He's just like, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. So this shitty lawyer gets this trial postponed for another year. This goes on forever. These people are being tortured by this guy who tried to kill their dad and their husband. And it just keeps getting postponed and post and he's out. 
and he's threatening them and he's stalking them and he's shooting at their house. It's crazy. Even the prosecutor eventually resigns and a new prosecutor takes over, which happens to be a good thing because he's young and kind of naive. So he's cocky and he's confident. He's like, this guy's not going to intimidate me. And he takes it to trial and he gets a conviction. Yeah, finally. For the first time in 21 indictments, he gets convicted. The only problem is it's not for attempted murder. What was it for? He had lowered the charges to assault with intent to injure, which is still a felony and still sucks, but he's only going to serve two years. How? Because that's the punishment for assault. All right. Yeah, it sucks, and it's totally not just, like, if if I knew that you could you only get two years for shooting somebody in the neck. What, are you going to shoot somebody in the neck now? Well, I mean, I got a list. You don't got two years, though. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, that's crazy. That's not enough time for shooting somebody in the neck. No, not at all, ever. But this town is like, we'll take what we can get. We haven't had a break from this guy in years. He gets away with everything, so at least if we have two years of relief... They're happy for something. We can all move away while he's in. Yeah, like, they're just happy for some kind of justice of some kind. Like I said, everybody's pissed, but they're relieved for a minute. Because instead of going to prison for two years like he should have been, his attorney immediately files an appeal of the conviction, and they release him on bond awaiting the result of the appeal. So now he's been convicted of shooting Bo, sentenced, and then still is able to go home and terrorize these people more. That's that's not. I mean. So this town is devastated and they're super duper scared because a lot of them finally got the cojones to testify against him, thinking this would put him away finally. Like you can't shoot Bo, you know, like you can't just shoot people. (laughs) Dick, <laughs> you can't. I agree. So a lot of them had the balls to finally say, yes, I saw him talking about this or I saw him doing that, you know. So now they're scared. They're like, oh, shit, he's back. Yep. So they're thinking that he's just going to go away, but then he doesn't. So him and Trina show up at the D&G Tavern in town with an M1 rifle and a bayonet attached to it. And they just walk in, order a beer, and sit down and start talking about how they're going to finish off Bo before Ken goes to jail. and Just casually at the bar? Yeah, talking sure. about how he's going to finish the job and all this stuff. So everyone's scared, and they call the sheriff. The sheriff drives the 20 minutes to town, and he's arrested because you can't bring an M1 with a bayonet into a bar that violates your bond. I'm glad that was illegal then, because usually it's illegal now, too. But, I mean... Honestly, though, I don't know that it was illegal to do what he did. It's just that it violated his bond, because he was out on bond. Hmm. Okay. Well, okay, he did it. Either way, he did it. Yeah, either way, he broke his bond, so they're taking him back to jail. Right. Some of the townspeople even testify at his bond revocation hearing. This time, for sure, they're going to lock him up. You can't just go into a bar with a rifle and say you're going to shoot somebody that you've already been convicted of shooting. (laughs) But no, his attorney um, somehow got even the bond revocation hearing postponed. And so they just let him go. Okay. Yep. Just none of this is how it's supposed to be. No kidding. So now they're really scared because he knows everyone who just testified at the bond revocation hearing. 
And at all at the Bo Bowen camp thing, and you know he's making threats about finishing off Bo, and these people have been going through this for like twenty years, and they're fed up. They've been stolen from, beat down, shot at, had their houses burned, kids raped, their hogs stolen, their cows stolen. Like, these people can't catch a break. This guy even threatened the town preacher because when Bo Bowenkamp was recovering in the hospital, the preacher went to go pray with him. That's why? Yeah. And Ken McElroy was like, if you go down there again, I'll kill you. He was literally threatening people for just taking sides. Like, he's a preacher, yeah. Ken, like he's pretty neutral. One, you can't. Yeah, like you can't threaten him for one, and for two, he obviously is going to go pray with the guy who just got shot. With what? That's in his job description. <laughs> yeah, he is Switzerland of people. He not yeah. he doesn't have a side. Yeah. So anyway, these people are scared to death, and they're fed up. They're just like, what in the hell are we going to do? So they call a town meeting at the local Legion Hall. I don't know what that is, but I'm assuming it's a big building where they all meet. Sounds fair. Do you know what a, Yeah. I was like, do you know what a Legion Hall is? Well, I know what the American Legion is. I, I just went to one, actually. And how it was described to me was it's basically an Elks Club for veterans. Mm. So if it's the same idea, then- Oh, then, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gotcha. That makes sense. So, And a lot of these guys are Vietnam vets. You know, this is the early 80s. So that, right. that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So they call this town meeting, right? The mayor, the sheriff, a bunch of people are there. Like, some accounts say at least 100 people. So we're talking a quarter of this town. (laughs) When you you put it that way, it sounds Mm -hmm. like so many more. It sounds like, to me, most of the adults in the town. Like, because if you think every family has two or three kids, like, that's probably most of the adults in this town. Yeah, this McElroy guy's got the other two-thirds, so. Yeah, exactly. So nobody knows for sure how many people are there because this meeting is highly contested. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But they call this meeting because they're like, what are we going to do? We can't let this go on anymore. We've got to figure something out. How are we going to protect ourselves? What are we going to do? You know, they look to the sheriff. They're like, you're the law. What do we do? The sheriff suggests that they form a neighborhood watch. And when he does something illegal to call him and he'll come arrest him. Which obviously has never worked. No, this guy is killing people for, honestly, way yeah. less than that. So, like, giving them yeah. a reason. Or trying to kill them. He right. hasn't killed anybody yet. And, well, okay, fair enough. But you're giving him a reason to, you know, to do it. Right. So they're like, Sheriff, that was a dumb idea. Next. <laughs> you know, and they just keep... So the topic of this meeting that morning is really, really, like I said, contested. But at some point during it, someone came in and said, Ken and Trina are at the bar again. Everybody was just kind of like, what are we going to do? And the sheriff was like, do not confront him. Form your neighborhood watch. Call me if something happens. And then he got in his car and he dipped. He's like, bye. I'm out of here. I'm like, oh, you're just going to leave 100 angry people in a legion hall with a guy that they hate next door? Like, okay. All right. Sounds good. So the sheriff dips. He leaves town. This is when a bunch of men from that meeting said, Okay, and they all walk down to the tavern to obviously confront McElroy because they're done. They're finally going to stand up to their bully. So the next part kind of depends on who you hear the story from, but there was somewhere between 30 and 70 of them that walked down to this bar, which I'm sure has a maximum capacity of like 14, (laughs) I would imagine. So only his kids are allowed in? Yeah, it was like not a very big place. Yeah. 
they walk in and they told McElroy to get the hell out of town and don't come back because they had 30 to 70 of them. They felt confident enough to stand up to them and they were like, get in your truck, get the hell out of here and don't come back. Hell yeah. I don't know what their plan was after that when he did come back, but this is their plan at the moment. I don't know if they thought it all the way through. It sounds like enough people stood up to him that maybe he was like, "Ooh, you know, can't do that. Yeah. So he bought a six pack from the bartender and him and Trina got up and they walked out and these men all walked out after them and they kindly walked him to his truck that was parked in the middle of Main Street in the middle of this town right in front of the bar and him and Trina get in the truck but Ken didn't go anywhere. All these men are standing all around the truck and Ken just didn't go and all of a sudden shots rang out, bullets are flying and Ken is shot multiple times, and multiple times in the head. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So while the bullets are flying, a couple of the men opened up the passenger door of the truck and pulled Trina out mm. and ran her into the bank. Like, so they were, they didn't want to shoot Trina. Right. They were saving her. <laughs> yeah. So that was nice. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like these people had just had enough, honestly, and they were like- yeah. You know what? We don't mind you. You're just an innocent bystander. We get that. But <laughs> well, also a victim. I mean, also a victim. But yeah, she was 12 when he. Yeah, we're about to do some stuff, and you know, you don't deserve to be a part of it. Yeah. So Ken's foot lodged on the gas pedal when he was shot, and so the truck was just revving, 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 and smoking, and then eventually the engine blew, and it was just quiet. All the shots were done, the engine was off, and everyone just turned around and walked away. I bet that was such a chaotic scene for those, you know, for that time. A couple of seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just so much going on, and then it's just over. Everybody just got in their cars and their trucks, and they left. Wow. And they left Ken slumped over the steering wheel of his truck on Main Street. Just do not care at all about him anymore. Like, you know, nope. dude, you're... A you're a jerk. More than that. Someone opened up the door to the grocery store and told the Bowen camps, he's gone. You can sleep tonight. Now just stand with us. So that's pretty heavy duty. Yeah. I mean, I mean, all, honestly, all of this is pretty heavy duty stuff. But literally, they just got in their cars and they left. No one called the cops. No one freaked out. No one called an ambulance. They just left. Yeah. yeah. And I even Trina at the bank, you know, they hustled her into the bank. Mm-hmm. Of course, she was freaking out and screaming and yelling and everything. And they told her to sit down and shut up. <laughs> really? They didn't even let her call. They didn't even let her call nine one one. They didn't call nine one one. Like they were just like, shut up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So eventually, the sheriff must have been called by somebody because he came back to town and was like, "Oh, I probably shouldn't have left that angry mob at the Legion Hall." Whoops. <laughs> ah. Uh. So he launches a full-scale investigation. Like, he calls in the Nomis Squad, which is, like, Missouri's, like, they're really high-up police, you know? I don't, yeah. know? I don't know how to explain it. The FBI from Missouri? Yeah, and he launches, like, a real big investigation. Like, they interview everybody. They collect evidence. Like, they did everything they could. It was a big deal. And the media pounced on this tiny, tiny town who literally killed their bully in the middle of Main Street in the middle of the day. And when the media honed in, everybody just 
shut the fuck up. No rats. <laughs> yep. There was like, nah, no nah. one said shit. Actually, that's not true. They said things, but they were more like, well, that guy needed a killing. And wow. I hope whoever did it gets away with it and shit like that. <laughs> well, no wonder it was all of them that did it. You know, there was no one person that did it. So, you know, you go in on that like, hey, we all did it. Sorry. I don't know. We don't know who did it. So Trina named the gunman that she saw shoot Ken. Her and the hotshot lawyer even got the FBI involved because they think the sheriff was in on this whole plan. Like they think that meeting the sheriff okayed a hit on this guy. And 46 witnesses were interviewed extensively by the FBI and they all said what happened. They went to that meeting. They talked about what they were going to do. Neighborhood watch. They decided to stand up to him, told him to get out of town, walked him to his truck, and then bullets started flying. And the FBI was like, okay, well, what did you see when you looked that way? And they were like, we saw Trina and this and that and the other, you know. And they were like, what did you see when you looked straight ahead? And they were like, we saw Ken's head explode. And then they were like, oh. what did you see when you looked to the left? And everybody's like, we didn't look to the left. <laughs> My head doesn't turn that way. Whoops. They were just like, nope. We didn't see shit. Got a crick in my neck. So it turns out after the autopsy, it was probably more like two to five shooters based on the different calibers of guns, but nobody will say who. They all say they know who did it, but they won't say who it is. They're like, oh yeah, we know, but that's for us to know and you guys to not know. Like they're like, wow, everybody knows who did it. Like I said, Trina has named publicly one of the gunmen that she says shot him, but the townspeople, when they're asked, they're like, well, Trina's a liar, so that's that. <laughs> like, they, they're just like, no, absolutely not. And the prosecutor declined to press charges. The FBI couldn't find any involvement by the sheriff, even though Trina's like, the sheriff was one of the ones that shot him. Like, there's a lot of rumors that the sheriff never actually left town, that he was actually on the roof of the store across the street and was one of the shooters, but that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. Yeah, so the prosecutor declined to press charges, and they just don't talk about this anymore. They're like, no, we're done with that. It's been 41 years. We don't talk about that. Wow. Mm -hmm. So for forty, the last 41 years, no one in this town has ever turned over on anyone. No wonder nobody else lives there. Like, they can only trust each other, and anybody else who comes in, they probably run right out of town. So people are dying. They're just like, well, well he's just going to die. We're not letting anybody <laughs> new come in, not after that guy. A lot of people think this shooting and the media debacle around it and all of that stuff is what killed the town. You know, usually yeah. towns that have four or 500 people 40 years ago, they have eight or 900 people now, well, you yeah. know? Yeah. And this town is going the other way. It's dying. There's a whole nother thing about that. About why, so we'll get into that in a minute. All right. How do you feel about vigilante justice? Overall, I'm not for it. I think that... Uh, yeah, it could be chaos. Yeah, absolutely, and people should not take matters into their own hands, but I think that there's also certain situations in, you know, where certain things need to be done, you know? I, yeah. Again, I'm not a big advocate for it, but I do think that... I mean, this sounds Everybody's like they've got a limit. Well, and this sounds like they had no other option, honestly. Yeah. Like they you know, tried to do it the right way for 20 years and it yeah. never worked. And that's what the I justice mean. system failed them time and time and time again. And, you know, I think we hit it on the head. Like this guy wasn't a bully. He was a terrorist. And what do you do with terrorists? You stop them. So, yeah, you know, I 
over, overall, no, I'm not a big fan of vigilante justice, and I don't think it's it's a thing that we should be you know doing across the board. But I think that this is a a rare case where maybe it was you know the right thing to do. Yeah. And now you're going to flip this upside down and tell me it's not like you have more to this case. No, not so much. Like, I kind of agree with you on that. Like, I feel like these people had they hit their limit and they had no other options. They had nobody to turn to. The law wasn't helping them. And it wasn't like they just didn't give it enough time. I mean, it had been 20 years of just terror. Right. And so, no, I, I, I don't know. You can only push somebody so far before they're like, we're done. You know, everybody has their limits. And I think it's a testament to how close this town is that they're just like, nope, we're going to protect these men who protected us from this guy. I completely agree. Totally. From all accounts that I've read and heard and all the rumors of who the gunmen were, they are all dead now. If any of them really were like the sheriff, the mayor, (laughs) the guy who owned the tavern, like there's a whole bunch of people that are like supposedly could be the shooters and they're all dead now. And nobody still will flip because they're like, no, it's we're not going to talk about it. I don't know. I think that's a testament to that. But there is a flip side of that to where some people feel like this incident may have cursed this town. Because in this tiny, tiny town of at the time, 400 people and now 250, there's been tragedy after tragedy after tragedy in this town. Like what? Um, Just. Violent, violent murders, people going missing, babies getting cut out of women's bellies. What? Yeah, just really violent stuff. And some people think it's a coincidence, it's unrelated. Some people think, well, maybe these children now who were children when this went on have a something happened in their psyche when a whole town that they lived in that are their parents got away with a murder that bred some sort of like inherent violence in them or something because they've got a lot of issues for such a tiny town. Yeah, they've they got do. a huge meth problem. Methican Americans. You know? Yeah. Probably gonna upset somebody. Yeah. But it's like that whole sins of the father thing. I, I don't know what that is. Like their dads got away with shit that they shouldn't have got away with probably. And so now people think there might be a curse on this town because since then they've had multiple suicides, unusual deaths. There was a woman who was beaten to death on her front lawn by her boyfriend. Jeez. You really and weren't then kidding. Just left there. And everybody knew she had been being abused for a long time and nobody did anything. And people saw him beating her and just kinda Ugh. she died, so it was bad. Maybe this town needs to talk a little bit more after all. Yeah, and then a 20-year-old boy went missing just out of the blue. He was at home with his friend waiting for his dad to get out of the hospital, and then he was just gone, and he's never been seen from since. Then a couple of years later, his cousin, who lived not too far away, she was eight months pregnant with a baby, her first baby, and some lady from the internet came to her town to look at a dog that she was selling or she like bred dogs so she was selling the puppies sure and the lady um cut the baby out of her while she was alive and then left her to bleed to death yeah what yeah in this tiny town how does this happen i don't know that is insane so no i don't disagree with you about i think this was necessary but it may have had a bad impact on this tiny town. Yeah. 
I think it may have had an impact on the tiny town. Um, yeah. God. So that's what I was saying earlier about how this town is going the other way instead of, you know, people getting married and having babies and the town growing. This is part of the reason why the town is going the other way. Because yeah. The more and more of these tragedies that happen, the more people are like, fuck this, I'm moving, I'm out. Fair enough. The older generation is dying off and the younger generation gets out as soon as they can. Yeah, fair enough. I think this town just needs to die. Sad. But could you imagine if you grew up in this town and you love this town? Like, that's sad that they have all this, like... I don't know that I would love this town. Yeah, you would if it was your hometown. You would. Maybe. It's a beautiful... I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful part of the country. Yeah, I suppose I probably would like it and, you know... It's real woodsy and it's a cute little, like, old-timey town, you know? And I didn't kill anybody, so everyone probably liked me, so... That's what I'm saying. Like, not everyone in this town was involved in that, but everyone kept their mouth shut. Yeah. Which then makes them all accomplices, I guess. It does. It's, it is a respectable thing, too. But. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So that's the story of Kenneth Rex McElroy and the little tiny town of Skidmore, Missouri. I think that that was a ridiculous story. I can't believe that all of that happened at the hands of really one guy. And it took Mm -hmm. them that long to take action. What's crazy, too, is some of the other cases that have happened in that town since are really well-known true crime cases, like Branson Perry going missing. Like, some of the big podcasts have done episodes on him. And they don't mention a whole lot that he was related to Bobby Jo Stinnett, who was the girl whose baby was cut out of her. Because I think because their cases aren't related, because her case is solved, they caught the woman that did hers uh-huh. so i think that's why but it's like this is such a tiny town like everybody's related or everybody knows everybody but it's like how can you have like four really famous true crime cases from the same town of like less than 300 people that's crazy that is nuts that's i don't know i'd love to see the statistics on that and see kind of <laughs> yeah what, what that the odds are totally well that was a great one i'm really happy that we uh we talked about that one and i got to hear that because yeah, there was a lot that I was obviously not expecting and it's Well, and there's a lot that I didn't include because like I said a lot of this story is like town gossip and you know, not really provable, but it's like well, when 90 people say it, maybe it is, you know. Right. Yeah. But there is a really really good documentary on this called No One Saw a Thing. So if you've got like an extra 6 hours, you should probably watch it. Oh, well next time I have an extra 6, I will uh I will stop what I'm doing. And watch that. Well, they're like 45 minutes or an hour each episode, and there's six episodes. Oh, I could do that. I can do episodes. My my attention yeah. span lasts that long. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks for uh, going over that. So if you guys have your own opinion on vigilante justice and whether you think this town was justified or just a bunch of violent murderers, let us know on Instagram at From Crime to Crime. I would actually love that. I would love to hear what people's takes on like vigil anti justice are. Yeah. We can't have like the overwhelming majority be into it, but I still want to know about it. I think everybody likes a good vigilante story. I think that's why people like Batman. Yeah, 100%. He was just yeah. aven- avenging his death or his parents' death. Well, but you know what I mean? Like people yeah. love the superheroes that are vigilantes and Totally. People love when things The Knights of the Night. <sighs> Knights of the Night. We are unarmed. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think people like when people kind of take things into their own hands and just go, you know what? If you're not going to do it, then I am. It's like that saying, if you want something done right, do it yourself. Yep. 
All right. Don't forget to visit us on Instagram at From Crime to Crime. We're on Twitter. We're on TikTok. We're everywhere that you want to be. Yep. All right. Well, I will call you later. Okay. I love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.